0: Just last year, Pew Research did a study. They did one uh, around 2014, and they updated it this last year, uh, surveying a sample of adults in the United States to determine who believes that there is actually a heaven, a literal heaven, and a hell. And here are the results that they came up with. Roughly 7 in 10 adults, 73%, believe that there's actually a place, a literal heaven. Less than that, 62% of U.S. adults believe that there is literally a hell where people can go after they die. Interesting, though, that it was defined by most, heaven is defined as a place where people who have led good lives go after they die. If you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. Those who believe in hell... Say just the opposite, where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry for what they've done are eternally punished. Some truth to that, I guess, but it gives you an idea of what the majority of our culture believes about heaven and hell. You know, one of the things that Satan, I believe, one of his most effective tools against evangelism, against Salvation is convincing people that either there is no such thing as heaven or hell or convincing them to believe that a good God, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. So as long as you try, as long as you're good enough, when it comes time for you to stand before him after you die, he will show grace and mercy and let you in. Well, that's not what the gospel says. Yes, God is gracious and he is merciful, but he is also just. He has provided a way to be saved. And it's not just by being good enough. And we're going to look today as we continue this series, conclude this series. It's our last week called The End on the End Times. We're going to look at what's going to happen to those who die when the Lord returns, what will happen to them when they face Jesus Christ in in judgment. We're in the series, The End. It's about the end times, and our theme for this series is end times, be encouraged, live with expectation. Uh, we have looked at various aspects of the end times, what to expect, what to look for, but most importantly, what we are to be doing as followers of Christ to be prepared for the return of Christ. As his bride, the church, we want to be prepared. We also should want others to be prepared, right? And that's the Great Commission. We are called to go and share the gospel. And the reason is we want others to experience what we've experienced and to be prepared for the day that Christ returns. And no, we know that we can do that. We can be prepared. We can help others be prepared. Because of this truth, God has given us the information that we need to be prepared for Christ's return and to live faithfully as we wait for his return. That's how we know we will be prepared. We've already seen the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the righteous, right? We talked about that. We've seen that we all, even those of us who are saved, will face Jesus Christ. With those of us who are saved, while we will be held accountable for our actions, we are judged to receive eternal rewards, not to determine whether or not we'll go to heaven or hell. Because if we've accepted Christ, we know that our place in heaven is secure. But now today we're going to look at another judgment. The great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Go ahead and turn there if you would in your Bibles. We'll be in Revelation chapter 20 where all of the unbelievers who die without Christ or who are without Christ when he returns will stand before him in judgment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what what was written in the books. There's two books. We'll talk about that. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. On July the 8th, 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached his most fam- famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He held his manuscript so close to his face you couldn't see his face. But the more he preached, the more people grabbed on to the backs of the pews or to their seats. They fell under such great conviction that by the end of his message, people were running down the aisles begging for mercy because of what he was preaching about the destiny of those who die without Christ. Now, this sermon is not going to be quite that intense, okay? Um, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone guy, but there's going to be a little bit of hellfire and brimstone today. Uh, Because we have to talk about the reality of hell. If we don't talk about the reality of hell, we're not preaching scripture. We're not preaching the truth. And we're not properly warning people of what's facing them if they die without Christ. Because the truth is, regardless of how good you think you are or how bad you've been, we all have to beg God for mercy. Our only hope in this life and beyond this life is the mercy of God. It is only by His grace, only by His mercy that we are saved. And so we're going to look into that today. Now pay attention to the fact that it's called the Great White Throne. It's great because of the rank and dignity of the judge. The size and extent of the judgment. The vast number of people throughout world history, think about that, throughout world history who are going to be judged And the fact that it will seal the eternal destiny of believers and unbelievers. It is white because it displays and emphasizes the infinite purity and righteousness of Jesus Christ who is the holy judge. And it is a throne because Jesus sits in sovereign majesty using his authority to sentence those who are lost to eternal punishment. You know, Satan's been very effective at convincing mankind for centuries that God will not punish those who do not believe in him. That a loving God could never do that, would never do that. That's how he convinces so many people to reject Christ. But the truth That lie that Satan tells the truth of what God will do is fully exposed in this passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 20. God is holy. And hear me, he cannot and he will not compromise his standards because he cannot continue to be holy if he does. He will not compromise his standards he is just just and he requires that sin be dealt with one way or the other either it's dealt with on the cross your sin when you accept Christ and you pay you accept his payment for your sins or it will be dealt with at the end of life when you stand before him and are sentenced at the great white throne of judgment Christ is going to return for his bride we don't know when could be today could be a hundred years could be a thousand years from now we don't No, there will be a judgment seat for the believers, the Bema. There will be a great white throne of judgment for those who are unbelievers. And that we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb for believers. Following that is this other judgment for unbelievers, where God settles the score once and for all. If you want justice, you may not get it in this life, but it will happen here once and for all. Three truths about the judgment day that we're going to look at this morning. The first is this, fear and power will be felt by all who are present. Fear and power will be felt by all who are present. The judgment will be a fearful event where the power, think about this, the power of God is going to be on full display. The power of God will be on full display. Here we see the infinite God in verse 11, the great white throne and the one seated on it. John five twenty two says, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ is not only Savior, He is also Judge. That's appropriate, isn't it? Um, and yes, He's God, the Trinity, the great mystery. But the one who came as a humble servant, who gave His life, who laid down His life, will also be the judge of those who refuse to accept Him. He is a holy and righteous judge and we see him in this picture. The lamb will become the lion. Every person who has ever lived is going to meet Jesus one day. Either in this life when you accept him or here. Every single person. And if you don't meet him as savior, you will meet him as judge. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, the verse says. No single person will be able to elude this judgment. No unbeliever will avoid the courtroom scene or escape definite punishment. So what does the phrase, that phrase, earth and heaven, fled from His presence mean? Well, you could call this uncreation. God created the heavens and the earth, and they will be uncreated when this happens. The earth and heaven will flee. Everything that we have known and depend on is going to be gone. There will be no place... To turn, there will be no place for people to hide from this judgment. Adam and Eve ran into the trees to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord when they sinned. There will be no trees to hide behind here. There will be nothing. In the presence of God, there will be no hiding. Second Peter 3, 10-12 says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works in it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. We've got to be prepared. We've got to live in preparation and in anticipation. As you wait for the day of the Lord and hasten, hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and elements will melt with heat. Donald Barnhouse wrote this about this uncreation. He said, There is to be an end of the material heavens and earth, which we know. It is not that they are to be purified or rehabilitated, but that the reverse of creation is going to take place. They are to be uncreated. As they came from nothing at the Word of God, they are to be sucked back into nothingness by the same Word of God. We see the infinite God, holy and powerful, we see uncreation, nowhere to hide. We also see those who are considered insignificant in this life, but are still without Christ. The small, they are described as. These are people who are considered nobodies. They are the humble of society, but they are still without Christ and will be judged at this day, during this day. We also see... The unim- the, the, we see the unimportant, we see those who are considered important. People in this world, in this life, who have positions of power, fame, authority. People that we would call influential and important. But they too are without Christ. And here's what we learn from this. We see the great, we see the small. What's the point? There are, there are no, there's no one who is so small that they are exempt from judgment and there's no no one so great that they can escape judgment. There are no degrees in judgment. There are no free passes because of your status in in society. And out of this, you know, I think we can put those who are unsaved into five different groups, five different categories that I think will help us understand not only why people choose to, uh, to not to believe or just... Are not choosing anything, which is a choice not to believe, and also how we can approach them, how we can reach them, because that's the point of this, to help people understand their need for Christ. One group are those who are just out-and-out out sinners. These are people, and you may, you may not see this very often, but we do see it, people who just brazenly, openly defy God, shake their fists at God and say, you have no right to tell me what to do, you, don't have, you have no right to run my life, I refuse to believe. Or just deny God all together. There's just out and out sinners defined. We see self-righteous people. These are people, this is probably the majority of folks in our world. They think that they are too good to be condemned. They think, hey, if I'm good enough, I'm a good person. You know, I'm a member of the PTA. I serve at the food kitchen. I give to charities. You know, I'm, I even go to church every now and then. I'm a good person. I help people. I'm not mean. I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not, you know, I'm not a child abuser. I'm not all of it. Those are the people that are going to hell. I'm not those people. Overall, I'm a decent and good person, and there's no way a loving God would ever send me to hell. There are people who have been deceived And think that, hey, as long as when I get to the end of my life, I'm gonna add up the score, and as long as I've got more good points than I got bad points, I'm in. But that's not what scripture teaches, unfortunately. And it describes most of the people in our world. But they we they need to realize that there is no one that is so bad that can't be saved, but guess what? There's no one that's so good that they don't need to be saved, because we are all sinners. We have all fallen short. Of God's glory. Proverbs 27.1 tells us about another group. Or it gives us an example of another group. The procrastinators. It says don't boast about tomorrow. For you don't know what a day might bring. You know there are people who are just. They know they need Jesus. They've been under conviction. But I'm going to get my life cleaned up first. Which will never happen. Or just not today. I've got some more things that I want to do. Before I give my life to Christ. I'll I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it when I get older. They're just procrastinating. They don't want to give their hearts to Christ. When they have the chance. But I want to hear. Listen. Hear me from the bottom of my heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are procrastinating. Stop. Give your heart to Jesus. While you still have a chance. Because you may not have another. And I don't say that to scare you. I just say, I've been a pastor too long. I've seen too many people's lives in. And guess what? It's never Even when it's expected, it's not expected when it happens. You just don't know. And if Jesus Christ is calling you into a saving relationship today and you're resisting for whatever reason, give up and give your life over to Him. And experience the salvation, the security, the comfort, the purpose, the hope that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, For he says, At an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not two years from now. If God is calling you, now is the acceptable time for salvation. Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8 says, For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That at Meribah the day on the de- that day at Massa in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts. You know, someone, and I don't know where this came from, but I found it in my studies. Someone said that the heartbeat of an unsaved person is a muffled drum beat beating a funeral march to the grave. Each, each beat is a step closer. And when he, your heart's going to stop beating one day. I mean, it just is. And when it does, if you don't know Jesus, you will go to hell. You will be separated from God for all of eternity. And none of us who are saved want that. And if you are complacent in that, then there's something wrong with your salvation. <laughs> because there are people who are dying. And if they are not saved... They will be separated from God for all of eternity. And that's not unloving. That's not uncaring. The fact that anybody would tell you that shows just how much they care because they don't want you to spend eternity without Jesus Christ. There are also unsaved church members. Surprise, surprise. There are those who sit in the pews or the chairs as it is here every week. And they think as long as they attend church faithfully, as long as they read their Bible... Occasionally or regularly, they give their tithe, they serve on a committee, they check off all the right things that they are saved, but they've never truly, in their hearts, made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. And they are, in their comfort, headed straight for the same destiny as those who out and out defy and reject Jesus Christ. Religion, hear me, religion never saved anyone. There have been people that have been trying for centuries. And religion has never saved anyone. The devil would just as soon send you to hell from the pew as he would from the gutter. If he can deceive you into believing that you're saved when you're really not, then he's just fine with that. The Bible says this in Second Corinthians 13:5: "Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Now, this I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. If you are saved, you should be secure in that. If you are being obedient to Christ, the more obedient you are, the stronger your relationship is with him, the more confidence you're going to have. But if you don't have security, if you don't have a confidence in Jesus Christ this verse is telling you that you need to test and see if you really have given your heart to Jesus if you really have made him Lord of your life because if you have you're not going to be perfect you're going to make mistakes but overall consistently you're going to live a life of obedience to him and a life of spiritual growth sanctification you're going to bear fruit in your life that shows that you're a child of God so test yourselves but then there's, there are those, and this is the hardest group for us to talk about, but I've got to be honest if I'm going to preach the truth. There are those who have never heard the gospel. I know that's a tough one to swallow, and I've known people that are godly people that believe with all of their hearts that God will show them special grace, but the sad truth is that is not what Scripture teaches, which shows how desperate, how important it is that we take the gospel to the nations while we still have, chance, have time. Because there are those who have never heard the gospel. And you may ask, if a person's never heard the gospel, how can they be condemned? But Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one's exempt from that. Now, it does appear that there will be that, that the judgment of those who haven't heard will not be as severe as those who have heard. Verses like Matthew 10, 14, and 15. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, Jesus told the disciples, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that town or that house. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment uh, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Some people have never heard the gospel of Christ. God, it appears that he will deal with them in a unique way. There's going to be degrees of judgment. Just like there are rewards for the saved, there are going to be degrees for those who are unsaved. Luke 12, 47 and 48, that servant who knew the master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive, receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. So there does appear to be a degrees, and I have to admit I can't really speak confident in that, but that is what it appears to teach in Scripture. But listen, make no mistake, hell is going to be hell, regardless of the degree. And the punishment will be severe, and it will be never-ending. And this truth, if it's true that when a believer dies, he or she is more alive than they have ever been, then it's also true when an unbeliever dies He or she is more dead than they have ever been. And I don't mean dead, cease to exist, unconscious, unaware. I mean eternal death, eternal punishment, suffering. And this is the resurrection of judgment. John chapter 5. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good things because of the righteousness of Christ they've received in salvation, not earning their salvation... Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life. But those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. So we have a resurrection body, those who are in Christ, that is recreated and new and whole. But those who are without will also receive a, res- a new body, not to life, but to condemnation. They will be resurrected, those who have gone, who, who have died. And this is going to be a fearful event where the power of God is on full display. Second truth. God will bring to light the secrets of all who are present. That's a sobering thought for us as we face the Bema, the judgment seat of the righteous. But for those who are without Christ, it's even more frightful. And believe me, you know, records are hard to keep, right? You look back on history and you can read three different accounts of the same event and get different, different stories. I've never been in law enforcement, but I know that sometimes one of the most unreliable things you can get is an eyewitness testimony, right? Five different people see the same thing five different ways. Records are hard to get accurate. God will have accurate records. There will be no mistake. Let's look at those records. First, we see the book of the law. These are the requirements. In this, In verse 12, John twelve forty eight says, The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on that last day. We are judged by the word of God, by his revelation to us. He tells us what he expects from us, and we are judged by that. So what does the Bible tell us? How can we avoid judgment and receive eternal life? John three eighteen and 19, Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus Christ, the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of that, the payment for that sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a way out. Salvation only through Jesus Christ though. John 3, 3, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How are you born again? Well, it's only through Christ. He is the key. There is no other way. Not being good enough, not a different path or a different religion, only through Jesus Christ. And see, what kills me, what gets me about believing that there are many paths to God or that, that, that you can be good enough or whatever is that life just doesn't work that way. You know, things work a certain way. If you're trying to do something specific, you have to do it the right way to make it happen. Something as simple as unlocking a door. Now, think about this. I brought several keys with me. These are my, just my regular car keys. On this, I have my truck key. I have um, the house key. I've got a, another key that I don't really know what it is right now. I think it's a church key. Here's a church key. Here is a church key. Here's another church key. Uh, I believe still yet another one. And then another key that I'm not sure. Maybe my back door. I don't know. All right. We've got a garage door. I never use the keys to the house, but I've got different keys. And then I've even got a key ring of keys that I don't know what they go to, but I'm afraid to throw them away (laughs) because sure as soon as anybody else to have that, they were all in the same key ring, but I just got tired of it being in my pocket. So I found another key ring, put them on here, and they stay in my dresser until, I guess, 10 years from now when I finally decided to throw them away, all right? So I've got all these keys that go to different things. Now, think about this for a moment, all right? Let's say I get into my truck and I want to go somewhere, but I don't have my truck key. But let's say I have the church key. How, how lucky or how much luck am I going to have starting my truck? zero I mean I could really crank down on it but what's going to happen I'm going to break it some of you including myself not in my truck but know that from personal experience right trying to unlock a door with maybe this key will work right I don't have the key and you end up breaking it off I mean the opposite is true let's say you know I open a, all of our doors are on a key card now but just stick with me for the illustration okay Let's say I walk up to a door at the church and I don't have my church key, but I figure, hey, my house key, maybe that'll work. I can take my house key. Well, it's not going to work, right? This simple truth that we all live by every day, certain keys open certain things. You can't open one door with the wrong key. You've got to have the right key. And if you want to get into heaven, just any key is not going to work. You have to trust and put your faith in Jesus Christ. He says it himself. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except by me. That's not exclusion. That's not unloving. That's not uncaring. That's not unaccepting. That is the biblical truth. And and the reason we want you to know that if you don't know Jesus is because we want you to go to heaven. And you have to believe. He's the only way. Only the God of the universe, the one and only true God, could provide a way of salvation, which means he chose to do it, only he could do it, through his son, because only he could live a perfect life, only he could pay the price for the sins of the world, only he could lay down his life, a sufficient sacrifice for all sins, and so only he is the way to heaven, but he invites you to come. He's not excluding you, he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And into eternity with him in heaven. Jesus is the key to heaven. We also see the book of the lost. Sort of God's response to those who do not believe. The deeds uh, were judged. The deeds were judged according to their works. By what was written in the books. Think about it this way. So there's the book of life. This is the book of the lost. There's another book. It's kind of like a biography. Which brings us to a sobering truth for all of us. God has your life recorded in his book not a thing about your life has escaped his knowledge and one of these days you will face his accounting of your life everything ecclesiastes 12:14 says for god will bring every act not just a few but every act to judgment including every hidden thing whether good or evil on judgment day skeletons are going to come out of closets things that your mom didn't know that your dad didn't know, that your wife didn't know, that your husband didn't know, that your kids didn't know, that no one knew everything is going to be laid out in the open before the throne of God. Every single act that I've performed in this world, on this earth, is going to be laid out in the open. Works, verse 12, what's been done. It's a record of unbelievers' works. You know, In the context of Matthew chapter 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about being a true disciple. And then he says this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. The only way we can do the will of God truly is if he's living in us and through us, if we're saved. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You lawbreakers. Jesus will acknowledge your works. He doesn't deny that they did those things, right? He will acknowledge your works. The only problem is that our works are just not enough to save us. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. Ephesians 2.8 tells us you are saved by grace through faith. Not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. You can't earn a gift. It's not a gift if you earn. It's payment. It's a gift by His grace. And there will be no excuse for unbelief. Why? Romans 1.20. For His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. And then we see the book of life here as well in verse 12. That represents Redemption. This is a list made up of those who settled out of court. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I settled out of court when I read about this great white throne, right? These are those who settled out of court. They pleaded guilty to God's charges. God, I agree. I'm guilty. I've sinned. I've done things wrong. I'm pleading guilty. I'm throwing myself at the mercy of the court. But the glory is, the wonderful thing is, those people receive a pardon from God through the blood of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. And then after the record is reviewed, we see God's retribution in verse 13. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. The death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades are going to deliver up the dead. Earth will open its graves to give up the dead. The sea will open up. Anywhere anybody's died is going to open up. And the dead will rise. The dead will be given up. There's a distinction here in verse 13. You see death and you see Hades. Death is the place of the body, Hades is the place of the soul at this point for those who die without Christ. And we need to understand, we need to understand at this point that death has the body, Hades has the soul. We've already seen when a child of God dies, he goes immediately into paradise, right? In 2 Corinthians 5, 18, we are confident, pleased rather, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who repented, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So those who are in Christ, when they die, their soul goes in immediately to be with Jesus while their body stays in the grave. Well, those who die without Christ, their body goes to the grave or wherever they are buried, and their soul goes immediately to Hades. It's like a jail cell. It's like if you were arrested, you go to county jail while you await your trial. And then if you're guilty, you're tried and convicted, and then you go to the penitentiary, right? So Hades is kind of like county jail, but a lot worse. You're waiting on your trial, and one day you will stand trial before Jesus Christ. A person who dies without Christ... His Savior goes immediately to this place of punishment that is Hades. In Luke 16, Jesus gives us a picture of this with the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. Luke 16, 23 and 24. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and he saw Abraham Uh, a long way off. Lazarus is in Hades. He looks up, he sees Abraham. This isn't to develop a theology on what you can see from heaven and hell, but we do catch a glimpse here of what it's going to be like, all right? Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. It gives us a glimpse into what this holding cell is going to be like. The Greek word here in this passage, Hades, is different from the word that's translated lake of fire that we see here in just a few verses. Hades is more like that, that, that jail. It's a place of punishment. It's a holding place. The lake of fire is the permanent place the penitentiary of punishment and these dead are called out by God's power you know just before his death actor W.C. Fields he was in the hospital and a friend of his came to 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 see him and he was thumbing through a Bible which he was not religious he never did and his friend was surprised to see this and he asked him he said he said what are you doing why are you looking through the Bible and he said I'm looking for loopholes the reality is though there's no loophole there's one way through Jesus Christ, and that's it. He's the way. He's the truth. Acts 17.31, because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has pr- provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Dead souls will be united with resurrected bodies of corruption. Now contrast this with what we talked about in the resurrection of the Righteous. Revelation 20 verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But there will, they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. The souls of those who have died without Christ and gone to Hades will be physical, physically returned to stand trial. But there's going to be a notable difference in this resurrection than in the resurrection of the righteous. Some specific things that we see that are absent in this resurrection. One is there's no blowing of the trumpet. There is no voice of the archangel. There is no white robe. And there's no comforting of each other. We see Paul comforting those who are worried about their loved ones who are gone. Who are also in Christ. There's no comfort here. Hades. It's the word... It's Sheol in the Hebrew language It describes the realm of the dead. Sheol, we see it 76 times in the Old Testament. Hades, we see 10 times in the New Testament. And it always references a place of punishment. And we go back to verse 23 of Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And being in torment in Hades, he, the rich man, looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus by his side, being in torment. The unsaved dead are kept there pending their sentencing, Of hell which is the lake of fire. And that leads to the third truth. There's going to be a sentencing that's given to all who are present. A sentence is given to all who are present. This is the second death. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. Unless you're raptured. But that's the truth. Born again. John 3 3 says you must be born again. There's a physical birth and then there's a spiritual birth that you have to experience in order to be saved. We see the sentencing thing here in verse 15. Satan and all the lost are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Gehenna. In Jesus' day it was the site of Jerusalem's garbage dump. And that's the picture that's being conjured up here. A garbage dump. The judgment's going to be severe. God is going to judge not by What Jesus did on the cross, but by your works. And none of us are righteous. Our righteous works are filthy rags. No works are good enough. He will not judge according to his grace and mercy. Here's the glorious truth. If you want mercy, you can have it. If you want grace, you can have it. But you have to have it now because you won't get it there. The time for mercy and grace will be done. God is gracious, he's merciful, he's long-suffering. Folks, it's been over 2,000 years, he's patient. But grace and mercy one day will no longer be available. The judgment will be severe. Don't think you're going to be able to throw yourself at the mercy of the court here. That time will have passed. There are three parts to every trial. You see the evidence presented by both sides. James 4.17 says it's a sin to know good and not yet do it. All of your sins are going to be the evidence presented against you. You'll have a chance to make your defense. But here's the thing. There's not going to be any excuses. No excuses like I didn't know what church to attend. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Lutheran. No excuses. Because God said I didn't, God, God didn't say believe in a church. He said believe in my son Jesus. Church is important. Don't get me wrong. We all should be contributing members. We can't fulfill our purpose unless we're a part of a church family. But salvation is not about joining a church. It's about putting your faith in Christ. Maybe you'll say, I didn't want to be like the hypocrites in church. And God's going to say, I didn't say trust in yourself. I said, trust in me. Because guess what? We're all hypocrites. Maybe some more than others. Okay, I'll grant you that. But none of us are perfect. And if you, you've heard this said, if you find a perfect church, don't, don't join it because you'll mess it up. None of us are perfect. What defense are you going to give? There's nothing that we will be able to say at this judgment, the throne of God, when we in this life have rejected the outstretched, nail-scarred hands of a loving, merciful Savior who's offering eternal life. There will be no excuse. Good enough. Good enough to escape this judgment. If you're not saved, your soul will immediately drop into, be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and all of his followers. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Only 62% believe there's a place called hell and the way that they believe you get there, the majority of them is so very skewed. Someone asked a preacher, do you really believe in hell? If so, tell me where it is. And the preacher said, hell is at the end of a Christless life. I would add it's also the beginning of a Christless eternity. Now I need somebody to help me. Gracie, (laughs) will you help me? Thank you. Gracie's worked hard this week, so I'm gonna work a little harder. I've got a big tape measure here. I may need one more volunteer. Let's see. Andrew, would you come help me? <laughs> Andrew and I, uh, either Andrew, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Y'all flip a coin. I didn't see the other Andrew. I tell you what, come on, Andrew. I'll take three people. I'll let you do, you guys can do this, and I'll stand back and watch. All right? So here we go. All right. This Andrew, you take this. All right. You gotta let go of the, the handle. All right. All right. Gracie, you stand in the middle. Andrew Cook, you take this and pull it out, okay? All right, you let go of that. Yeah, let's just let it spin. All right, Andrew Taylor, walk down to the end of the stage, in front of the piano. Andrew Cook, walk that way, okay? All right, Gracie, I'm going to step down here. Just stand in the middle and kind of hold it up. All right, very, yeah, all the way to the end. Keep going, man. That's good. Don't fall, all right? All right, so you, this is a 100-foot tape measure. We're not reaching 100 foot, but okay, let's just say Andrew Cook, Point to the one-inch mark on that tape measure. you see it? Can you read? (laughs) You find it? Just right about there. Just approximate, okay? That's the one-inch mark. Let's say that mark represents 100 years. And let's say you're lucky enough to live for 100 years. Most of us are not going to live that long, right? Some people do. I had a member of church I pastored in Scottsboro that lived to be, I think, 105, 104, which is amazing. But let's say that's your life, and the rest of this tape measure represents eternity. The only thing is, if it's true, then Andrew Taylor would have to keep walking and walking and walking. Climb out the window and keep going. Don't do that, but you would have to, all right? Just go, keep going and going and going. That's eternity. Now, think about that in perspective. Point to it again, Andrew. hundred years, eternity. You're lucky enough to live 100 years. That means you've got 100 years to prepare for that. And what if you waste that 100 years? What if you know, we all know this is coming. And what if you waste the years that God gives you on earth? Number one, what if you waste it by not accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because that's the only way you're going to be prepared for this. But what if you are a child of God and you waste that 100 years because you're not telling other people, About what's coming. You're wasting that time. By not sharing what you have learned. Not growing in your faith. Not maturing in Christ. Not growing in your relationship to Christ. Think about that. Life is a drop. In the bucket. It's. Pardon the expression. But it's spit in the ocean. Compared to eternity. How could we not. Spend time thinking about how we're using that short, short time that God has given us on earth. We need to be prepared. All right, guys. See if you can roll it up, man. <laughs> takes just a second. They're going to get this. Thank you guys so much for helping out. The two Andrews and Gracie. Y'all give them a hand while they're rolling this up. Here you go, man. I'll get the rest of it. it. Yeah, I get it. feel like I'm fishing. All right. Preparation, preparing for eternity. What does God have? To, God's word have to say about this? As we finish up, Romans five nine, only one way to avoid the terrifying reality of hell. How much more then, since we have now been justified by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Romans ten nine. How do you receive Christ? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And then Romans ten thirteen. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your sin can be buried at the grave of God's forgetfulness. He will forget it as far as the east is from the west. Never, ever to be counted against you. You can avoid the great white throne of judgment that we've talked about this morning. You can have grace. You can have mercy. You can have forgiveness from God. But you have to have it now because you will not receive it there. The end times are coming. I mean, I don't know if it's now. If we're in them now. I don't know if it's going to be a hundred years from now. I don't know if it's going to be a thousand years from now. We shouldn't fret, we shouldn't run and hide, we shouldn't worry, we shouldn't become obsessed. But we really should be prepared because they are coming. We know this. We need to be prepared by accepting Jesus, by loving Jesus, by serving Jesus, and by sharing the gospel with those who need Jesus. Because the reality is we have a tendency to get distracted. You know, we spent the last week, nine days, in Ecuador. Most of those days we spent at the education center where Dan and Jean are working with kids who age, range from age one to 14, 19, I think was the oldest teenager there. Their goal is to reach these people with, with the gospel, these kids. But their goal is also... To give them an education. Most of them don't make it past. What is the second or third grade? Something like that. They live on the streets. Many of them only have one parent. Parent works all the time. They're on their own most of the time. The education center provides them a safe place. To learn about Christ and to get an education. Because here's the destiny of those kids. If they don't. They will either go into prostitution. Or they will run drugs. The girls into prostitution. The boys end up running drugs. The life expectancy of a, of a boy who runs drugs for the cartel is about 25 years old if they're lucky. That's their future. I experienced a lot of things in, my, in the past two years being there. This week, I, was, I came home with an amazing sense of urgency when it comes to the gospel. Because that place, they are urgent. Dan, Gina, those that work with them, there's an urgency because they know if they don't get these kids, they're gone. Now, that's dramatic. It's extreme. Think about all those categories of unbelievers that I went through just a few moments ago. How many of those people do you know in your life? How many of those people are driving down this road right now as we're in here? I can see the cars going by. I've already counted five. How many of those people do we work with? How many of those people do we live with? And listen, I'm, I'm under conviction here too. I'm not doing enough, okay? So don't think I'm just, you know, getting on to anybody. I fear that in our comfort, in our culture, that we get so easily distracted that we've completely lost our sense of urgency. We tend to get distracted by trivial things when it comes to eternity. Whatever is going on in our lives. And listen, I know some of you are dealing with difficult things. Some of you are dealing with hard, hard stuff. And I'm not minimizing that, okay? I'm not minimizing your pain or your suffering. But the truth is most of us, we live pretty comfortable lives. We've got enough to eat. Budget's tight right now, but we've got gas in our car. Even if we had to take out a loan to get it. We got food on the table. We got a roof over our heads. We got a job. We got a family. Drama in our lives distracts us. We got a choice. We can either live comfortable lives and coast our way into eternity while others are lost, or we can put the gospel above all else. Everything. That's our choice. I pray, I pray that the reality of the end will produce urgency and preparation on the part of believers in the present. Let's pray together. Father, you have shown us grace. You have shown us mercy, undeserved, through the gift of your Son, Jesus. You have given us life when we deserve death, forgiveness when we deserve punishment, meaning and purpose when we deserve emptiness and worthlessness. You have given us hope, assurance. Those of us who know you have confidence, security. Those who don't know you can find that, can experience that. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in this place today or or listening online, Holy Spirit, just bring them under conviction. Show them their desperate need for you. Help those of us who are saved to be faithful, to share the gospel, to live the gospel. To be your ambassadors, your hands and feet to the lost world around us. Lord, please help us to be wise enough not to waste our time. Not to get caught up in trivial matters. Not to get so consumed with our lives that we forget about those who need you. Not to get so caught up in what we want as to not think about what those who are lost need. Lord, just speak to our hearts in this moment as we prepare to respond to your word. Teach us. Show us how to respond. Show us what you want us to do. Help us to apply it to our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for this time of decision, please?